0: Um, and so I'm going to teach for a little bit. Uh, we're going to go through the book, through the chapter of Hebrews 12. Uh, I'm going to sort of do a little bit of an overview and then come in, in and out of a few details there. And, and I've, I haven't really, I don't usually do this, like name my sermon ahead of time, but I think it's, it's important to kind of just put it out there. Um, it's just, I'm calling it just like keep going. Just keep going. And as I was reading through the book of Hebrews recently, I uh, like you do. I was so caught up in this section. I was so caught up in um, this encouragement that the writer of Hebrews, and we're not really sure actually who wrote Hebrews. A lot of people think it was Barnabas. Some people think it was Paul. Um, but it, it's this, this book where the writer is really, really focused in on telling this early Jewish community that have been swept up in the way of Jesus um, who are following, uh, and 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 want to be faithful, and trying to understand what it means to follow Jesus as a as a as a Jew in this context, and they're hitting resistance, and they're hitting a temptation, a number of temptations, but one in particular is to turn back, to go back to the old way, uh, and there's a number of things I think we can draw from this, and on a week that a weekend like July 4th weekend. Um, this has absolutely nothing to do with our country's independence. So I figured I would talk about this. <laughs> Let me pray for us. God, uh, we uh, we pray that you would open um, our ears, uh, that we would hear you. Open our eyes, Lord, that we might see you. or our hearts that we might know and understand you more. Um, I'm so grateful, God, for all the things that uh, that we've just been able to join you in. Um, thinking just recently, um, I in particular, God, I'm just very swept up in in the way in which you've been um, providing, Lord, in ways that are, which is so uh, not on our radar, or the way that you've as we've cried out that we would be able to serve the hurting in our city, you've brought them to our church, the, the physically hurting. Lord, as we've felt called to reach out to those who have just walked away from church and are so disinterested in you because of the mistakes of, of the people around them or the, or the pain or the hypocrisy of the people around them, just praying, God, would you bring those people into our midst that we might um, help journey with them and point them back to the way of God. And Lord, it's been crazy to see you do that to see you provide, Lord, um, financially, just, just to fill the vision that you have for us to, to, to plant other small churches around our city that we would be able to love our city well. Lord, we thank you. Um, thank you for providing just leadership for our church. We thank you for um, for providing community for so many the way that you've just helped so many so many folks in our community become aware and attentive to the, to the the folks that are far off, and so for all the things that are 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 broken and backwards and need clarity and need fixing and and all the ways that we still need in a thousand ways to be sharpened, Lord, we're grateful, Lord, um, that you uh, are sovereign, Lord, over our over our world and over our church. In Your name we pray, Amen, Amen. Uh, if you're a new with us, um, we do that whole music thing up front, and we do this teaching thing here um, uh, because we're a part of of a tradition that really values coming together um, and and recognizing that there's something more um, uh, than just our, our five senses, to recognize that what we understand at the center of the universe actually is not abstract and distant spirituality it is actually a, a person that it is actually a relationship um, and so we join with with saint francis and, and we join with augustine and martin luther king and mandela and all the the greats of our faith lord and we, we 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 look to to um to this great journey of churches who, uh, when they have been faithful, when they have been orthodox, when they have followed the scriptures, they have been the loving force of renewal um, that we believe the the, the greater world and ourselves are desperate for. So if you're new with us or you got dragged here this morning... um, this, we call this place sanctuary because we want it to be a safe place and a sacred place. That's what the word sanctuary means. And so our, our heart is that even if if you've got a thousand questions or a thousand doubts, if you're here and you're just trying to make sense of your own spirituality, like that's awesome. And we want to encourage you in that journey and, and know we are trying to be faithful um, to who we understand God to be and to be faithful to these scriptures um, that, that are give us these accounts and stories of, of what it means to uh, to be truly alive, to be truly human, um, and to, to follow God. So we're really, really glad you're here. And if you'd like to know, again, more info about our church uh, or more, just get connected with folks or learn more about the way of Jesus, there's uh, multiple places to do that. Just jot that on the high card, and I'd love to, or one of our leaders, would love to, I don't know, go have a pint with you and, and, and talk. So... Thank you, especially for those of you who I know it's really hard for you to be in a space like this, but but you're kind of pushing your own limits to explore your spirituality. And I just want to say daps. Okay. Um, This is uh, Hebrews 12. I want to say daps. You don't say daps. You do daps. Hebrews 12, verse 1. You have your Bibles open? There's almost nothing on the screen. I think there's like an ocean behind me. And then the only other things we're going to see on the screen today are Oregon Trail things. It's going to get awesome. Hebrews 12, 1. This is coming at the end of a section. uh, Basically talking about how um, there were all these greats of the faith. Like I just mentioned some of these people in the history of the church who've gone before us who've walked the way of God. And, and so the writer of Hebrews is referencing these people who have struggled in their faith, who've endured suffering, who are people of great faith in, in a time where uh, humanity, it seems, had a hard time understanding and grasping who this God was. And so the writer says, therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, since we are surrounded He's saying this early church, you guys, you guys, there are so many who have walked this road before you. Isn't that encouraging? Do any of you find that encouraging? Those of you who are here and followers of Jesus, that there are people that have actually walked this road before us? Like, that is so encouraging. And so this writer is like, there's like, I, I don't even know how to imagine that, like a cloud of witnesses. They're really like literal Thomas Kincaid type painters. Like, if if anyone calls themselves, like, a Christian painter, it's usually, like, pretty bad, right? I'm sorry to all those who call themselves Christian painters. Like, you're a painter. And your faith deeply informs. But, like, a Christian painter is usually, like, the really literal, like, as the deer panteth for the water. Right? Anyone know that verse? As the deer panteth for the water, so my soul longs after thee. Beautiful verse. I always have to quote it in King James. (laughs) And so you see the painting of, of someone saying, hey, would you paint that? What are you going to get? What are you going to get as the deer panteth for the water? You're going to get a deer panting at water, right? Really nice pastel tones, nothing too abrasive. Zoom out landscape shot. Again, if I am like accidentally critiquing your work, I want to say God loves you and loves your work. I Truly, I just don't have to. Um, that's so awful. <laughs> I'm going to get so many emails. As the deer pants for the water, so my soul longs after thee. Right, so I I just remember as the the great cloud of witnesses, and you just see like a cloud with like the saints, right? The great St. Paul looking down on you, like Daniel and Gideon just like, yes, my son. No? I I realize I came up in Christian culture, and a lot of you did not, so you have no idea what I'm talking about. Just know it's funny. There's some funny things. Just laugh, make me feel better. The great cloud of witnesses is actually this, it's this powerful picture. It's this imagery of the, of the people who have come before us in the faith who have walked the road of like they've been tempted. Anyone been tempted lately? Anyone wrestling with like lust? Anybody? No. Awesome. I love my church. I always try to trick everybody for a moment thinking someone will be like, yeah. Just raised my hand in a room full of 200 people. <laughs> I had a lot of caffeine this morning. <laughs> Have anyone wrestled with doubt? Like, oh my gosh! Like, I love the idea. I love the idea of Jesus of God. I love the idea that there could be like scriptures that point us to truth in a world that is constantly changing its definition of what is true. I would love that. I just can't do it. We are surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses, of people who have experienced these things and have walked this road before. Before we get into anything else, I love feeling almost like the imagery almost fits for me. I know there's a lot more in like Jewish context going on here around a cloud. But I love the idea how a cloud just like surrounds like low-lying fog. Right? It's just like the, 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 you are just surrounded and covered by all those who have gone before you. Some of the most powerful words Anne Lamott says in the English language are me too. Me too. That there are those who have walked the path before us. Let us throw off, since we're surrounded by all these folks cheering us on, who have encouraged us, who've walked this path before, throw off everything that hinders. Now, what is the writer talking about? What hindering what? And the sin that so easily entangles. And let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. Now, a lot of folks, you immediately you read this and you go, okay, what is the race marked out for me individually? But we need to understand that first and foremost, this is written to a people. The people of God, the church, the people who are to take part in the reconciliation of all things, of renewing all things. People joining God and seeing his rule and reign come to earth. Servants loving their enemy and pouring themselves out for their world. This is the race marked out. He's like, there are other people who have run this race. Throw off everything else that would hinder you. Easier said than done, writer. Fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame. So then the writer references Jesus. For the joy set before Jesus, he endured the cross. So. For those of you who even may, again, have like serious doubts, or those who are followers of Jesus who have kind of wrestled with the seriousness of the cross, there are very, very few writers in academia, and I'd point this out not as just a case, but as a note, who would deny that something happened around the first century around this rabbi named Jesus. And this aspect of the cross, of Jesus living out the way of God in such purity and such beauty and holiness and power that the Greco-Roman world, in particular the the Roman Empire that was there in conjunction with the religious elite in the Jewish community put Jesus to death. And and we're told here that this Jesus, um, he endures the cross for the joy set before him. To be able to run the race well, it was in some sense almost a, a joy to do the race, to run the race that was marked out for him. I, I think this is interesting for us when we think about our own walk. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and then he sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him. Who endured such opposition from sinners so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. You've got a cloud of witnesses. You've got Jesus. Consider the fact that there are others who have gone through far worse than you. And this isn't just a perspective thing. Because some of you are actually going through hell right now. Or some of you at least feels like it. Some of you, you actually get guilty even thinking about, I feel like I'm going through hell, but like I know I'm not, right? Like starving children on the other side of the world, like all these issues with race. And I know like I'm not, like I'm not really, it's that bad. But, and then you end up feeling worse. Anyone feel like that? Like you feel worse because you feel as bad as you do about the little thing? Anyone have that kind of anxiety? I have a few friends who really struggle with that. They're like, I feel overwhelmed and I feel like I'm going through the worst possible scenario right now. But I know it's not. Like when I look out at the world, which then makes me feel worse that I feel bad about this. It's like this great cycle of anxiety. Anybody? No? Cool. (laughs) Consider those who have walked this path so that you will not. Why? So you won't grow weary and you will not lose heart anyone in danger of growing weary and losing heart, of the race that's marked out before them, of the things that God's put in your path to go and to chase and to do and to live into, this greater thing that we're a part of, right, or sort of like we're supposed to be, for those of you who are new to church, like the church is supposed to be these agents of the, of, of the rule and reign of Jesus out in the world where the the baristas and the bus drivers and the professors and the stay-at-home parents and the people who are out in the world who are joining God moment by moment, thing by thing in the renewal of all things, and we come back together and we find places to share one another's possessions and do life together and care for one another, and then we disperse again and we go out to do the mission of God, reconciling things back to him, taking back what belongs to the way of love and beauty and truth, announcing that Jesus has forgiven of our sins. This is the race marked out for us, and yet we can grow easily weary and tired and exhausted. I think we feel that on July 4th weekend. I know, like, as soon as you stop, some of you, this is like the first time I've talked to a few of you, you stopped in like months. All right, and then all of a sudden it rolls around to like Saturday night, and you realize, wow, Friday and Saturday I've like done nothing, and then you stop long enough to go, oh, like, I I'm exhausted, and if I have to, like, it's almost like you need to keep going because if you stop long enough to realize how weary and tired you are, like, things will not go well in your mind. In your struggle against sin, and and let's be clear about sin. Sin is the thing that pulls us away. Sin is the thing that's not healthy or beautiful. Sin is not the thing that, like, God is like, let me arbitrarily drop some laws down on you to make you feel crappy about your impulses. It, it's, no, 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 you have beautiful impulses, like, to make things, like, to create, like, your sexuality. And, and these impulses, these drives, these passions, right, they get distorted. They get twisted. They become, we, we make them the, the ultimate thing, like, comfortability and home life and financial security, these things that are, are, are great, and they become an ultimate thing, and then all of a sudden... This is where we get sin is this distortion of that which is good and true and beautiful. In your struggle against this, you have not yet rested to the point of shedding your blood. He's like, I get that you're struggling, but you haven't actually died for your faith. Right? This is the place where literally the writer is pulling perspective. I get that things are hard. There are people who have had it a million times harder, walked the path. And in fact, Jesus, for the joy set before him, he walked this path. It's like the writer's just like... It's going to be all right. Consider this. Some of you find this line of reasoning annoying. I only know this because my wife does. <laughs> I don't know what to do with that. All I know is I, I love it. This is like my general operating structure. It's like, look, I get that things are hard, but that. I mean, these people were able to walk this under these circumstances, then how much more can I? How much more can I? This is what the writer is encouraging us to do. Don't forget. Completely forgotten this word of encouragement that addresses you as a father addresses his son. And then the writer, and I'm I'm not going to get into this point, but he just talks about God is fathering us. So often the hurt and the brokenness, the things that keep you from keeping going in the path that you're called to walk, the things that you're called to be about. God will use the brokenness of this world for good. And so often there are places we're told here that God is like, because he loves us and because he's a good father, what will he do? He'll father us. He'll discipline us. He'll help us grow into the people that we were created to be. He will help us grow into the people we are created to be. And so he will just, I actually find comfort in that. But sometimes the hardship, the anxiety, the brokenness, the thing that's keeping me, from like the stuff that I'm called to do and called to be about, actually God might be teaching me something through that. Actually that really awful thing that that other person did to me, we don't attribute that to God and yet at the same time we're told God will use that to sharpen us that we might be more alive and lit and awake to the things that we're to be about. I love using the word lit and talking about the way of Jesus. The more drug references you can put into a sermon I've heard the better. Wow, he's relevant. Look at my tattoo. Drug references. Cool guy. Make every effort in verse 14. I know I'm skipping a section here just because we'll be here literally all day. Make every effort to live in peace with everyone and to be holy. Without holiness, no one will see the Lord. See to it that no one falls short of the grace of God. Be sure that no one forgets that life is a gift. That God loves you no matter what you've done. Don't let anyone do this. Do not let anyone cause you to forget the cross. Don't let anyone cause you to forget who Jesus is and what Jesus has called you to. See to it that no one falls short of the grace of God and that no bitter root grows up to cause trouble and defile many. See that no one No one is sexually immoral or is godless like Esau, who for a single meal sold his inheritance rights as the oldest son. Afterwards, as you know, when he wanted to inherit this blessing, he was rejected, even though he sought the blessing with tears. He could not change what he had done. And then it says this. We're going to get back to the Esau passage. You've not come to a mountain that can be touched and that is burning with fire. To darkness or gloom and storm, to a trumpet blast or to such a voice speaking words that those who heard it begged that no further word be spoken to them. Because they could not bear what was commanded. If even an animal touches the mountain, it must be stoned to death. The sight was so terrifying that Moses said, I am trembling with fear. But you have come to Mount Zion, to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem. You have come to thousands upon thousands of angels in joyful assembly, to the church of the firstborn whose names were written in heaven. You have come to God, the judge of all, to the spirit of the righteous made perfect, to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant. The writer, we're going to get back to some of the middle section, but the writer is, is basically... Uh, or a question, I guess, maybe that comes from me, is the writer saying, like, what mountain have we come to? Like, what kind of God have we come to? Like, what is this God actually like? What, what is the reality of the world that we live in now as we talk about running this race that we're to be about, as we speak of following the way uh, of, of, of Jesus? As we think of how absolutely difficult and hard and the trials that come our way. This writer is interested in helping correct this first people that they would not lose heart, that they would not walk away, that they would not fall prey to temptation, that they would not become less than. And so the question for me is what kind of mountain the writer's posing, have we come to? What, what sort of reality and relationship with God? And so he puts up two options. One is Mount Sinai and one is Mount Zion. Mount Sinai is, is the law. This is where Moses, right, gets the Ten Commandments. This is where the calling on Israel happens. And, and, and Mount Zion is, is this picture of heaven. This is all things made new and everything in its right place. And he's saying, you have come now to a new reality Things have shifted. It is not the path that it once was to, get, to be connected with God. It is not the path that it once was. It is not the hardship that it once was. If this feels really like arbitrary and up there, uh, let me tell you why I think this is so encouraging, and I will tell you by way of the Oregon Trail. First slide. Anyone remember the Oregon Trail, first of all? How many, honestly, just, if you have been totally tuning out so far, can you let me know? Oregon Trail. How many know the Oregon Trail? How many under 24 know the Oregon Trail? I'm just wondering, because I know it's a, it's a generational thing. This was like, this started in the era of, like, dial-up. How many people remember what dial-up is? Dial-up internet. Awesome. Awesome. All right, so first off, a few highlights. One, the, there was a BuzzFeed article that was why, why the Oregon Trail has probably traumatized you. One, one is the cold-blooded game begins asking you to name every member of your doomed party, creating an emotional connection with each character. So this is how it starts. right? right, two, um, you go to the next slide. Yeah, so then you're smacked with a brutal lesson about class and value in society. So this says traveling to Oregon uh, isn't easy. But if you're a banker, you'll have more money for supplies and services than a carpenter or a farmer. However, the harder you have to try, the more points you deserve. Therefore, the farmer earns the greatest number of points and the banker earns the least. This is like, okay, cool, the world's not fair. Next up, really awesome uh, stereotypes. Like, completely over the top, Snake River Crossing. Next one. Um, This is my favorite one. You can mercilessly steal everything you have at any time. Do you remember this? This is one of my favorite parts, besides the next one. Uh, (laughs) Just, like, randomly, like, steal something. A thief stole oxen from your wagon. Like, there's just no setup for it. And then you're just doomed. Number five. Yeah, so anyone, favorite part of the game? Yeah, for those of you who don't know Oregon Trail, I'm so sorry. This is pretty amazing, but basically this is really the only like active fun part of the game, um, and it's participating in the extinction of the buffalo. <laughs> Next slide. <laughs> oh, <laughs> and I forgot about this one. You always shoot exactly 2,000 more pounds of meat than you could carry. Every time you're like, "Yes, I killed all these buffalo," you're thinking you're gonna get mad points. It's like, yeah, you can only really carry, you know, a leg. Um, next slide. <laughs> so, other immigrants will buy, will try to buy an action movie's worth of bullets off you while creeping you out. Um, this is you meet another immigrant who wants 166 bullets. You don't have this. Uh, <laughs> next slide. <laughs> For no reason whatsoever, members of your party begin to contract a myriad of painful diseases. Right? dysentery That's like the best one. Hey, you have pooped yourself to death. Like Another one, we got measles, I think it's up there. Bindi has measles. <laughs> you're like, and of course, you've attached a real name to this because you're like a kid. And you're like, mom. <laughs> like, oh, cool. Mom has measles. Awesome. Typhoid. I think cholera. we got a couple great slides up there. Um, or you simply b- break your limbs for no reason. I remember that one happening. Um, <laughs> snake jumps out to bite you, um, or you just get really, really tired. Um, <laughs> someone may—I think 16—someone may drown while wading across the river, three feet deep, and lose everything you own. Um, <laughs> and then, uh, and then you actually, at the very end, you actually like help create your own um, like uh, gravestone. It's like you, like, a seven-year-old has to, like, write an epitaph, (laughs) like, and it's over. And that's pretty much the game. It's like, and then you get dysentery, if you haven't already, like, everyone else will get it. Uh, And then at the very end, I think of the last slide. After your entire party is dead, you will receive this uplifting message. Everyone in your party has died. Many wagons fail to make it all the way to Oregon. (laughs) Now, some of you may not know this about the Oregon Trail but it actually was a real thing. History. Magical. And it was really hard to get from, let's say, Rhode Island to uh, San Francisco, which didn't exist really quite yet. Now, you can get there, right, with like a decent automobile and some money for tolls. The writer is letting us know that the way in which we now relate to God, the path that God has opened, the mountain that we've now come to, what God has now done in history, this is almost like the halftime like pep talk. Do you realize what's happened? You can now literally relate and walk with the God of the universe. Be encouraged. Keep going. There's a great cloud of witnesses who are around you, cheering you on, who have walked this path before. Keep going. There's the God of the universe has literally come and shown us and, 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 and embodied and seen every single temptation and hurt, it says in the book of Hebrews. It says, for the joy set before him, he walked the race even to death. So you keep going. This is where the life is. This is the mountain that you've come to. This is a God of grace and of love who is putting things back together with you that you get to join. And you let stupid things get in the way. And this is where I want to land the plane. And this is why I think so often it's the stupid things. It's because right in the middle of this this chapter in Hebrews, the story that I read, if you remember, just of Esau... You realize that he needs to point out, or she needs to point out, whoever wrote this letter, he's pointing out that there is some things that get us tripped up when it comes to endurance, when it comes to being able to keep going. And he references this story of Esau. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to Genesis 25. You guys with me? A little bit? Cool. Genesis 25. This is a very, very ancient story, primal humanity. The boys grew up. And Esau became a skillful hunter, a man of the open country. How many of you are men of the open country? While while Jacob was a quiet man, staying among the tents, Isaac, who had a taste for wild game, loved Esau, but Rebekah loved Jacob. Unfortunate. Once, when Jacob was cooking some stew, Esau came in from the open country, famished. He said to Jacob, Quick, let me have some of that red stew. I'm famished. This is why he was also called Edom. Jacob replied, first. So Jacob goes, you want some of this? You want some of my stew? First, give me your birthright. like, what? This is one of these stories you read the Bible, you're like, this is why no one follows God. Like, what is happening? Look, I'm about to die, Esau said. What good is the birthright to me? So he's coming from something. He's a man of the open country. So he clearly is, like, there's not a lot of details here. This is an understated story. But he's literally at the point of like, I am absolutely beat. Maybe he was like, I like to think he was in some kind of bear fight. I don't know why. I just feel like bear, like a bear fight would be awesome. He's come in and he's just beat. He's at the point of death. And he says, I just need, need some of that. And, and Jacob takes this opportunity to go, all right, give me your inheritance. you want some of this? Like, give me your birthright. Now, a birthright. What's a birthright? A birthright is everything you are meant to be. Like everything you were, like that was entitled to be in God. A birthright in the ancient Near East is everything. You have your tribe, you're living in tents, your family travels together, you have the same last name. There aren't that many people in the world. So not only is carrying on the bloodline a sign of respect to your ancestors, like keeping your last name or something, but it's your survival, your honor, your dignity. We've got to keep this thing going. The birthright symbolic of everything your family stands for. If you do something shameful, it affects like the whole family tree. Right? People are like, wow, you're that dude. You're the mook. That already sounds like it's like derogatory. That's my last name. Secondly, the birthright entitled you to a double portion of your father's inheritance. So to have the birthright is like you, you, you get like a serious amount of like coin when dad dies. To put it in modern words. Then there's a spiritual element to it. It's symbolic of your connection with God, which is everything. Birthright is your destiny. And he trades his destiny for a bowl of, at least at this point in the story, red stuff. Now, birthright throughout the scriptures is what it again means to be a a child of God, made in the image of God, children of God. Um, And there's multiple, multiple places where God is calling people to their birthright. To, to their destiny. To the destiny that God has for each one of you and us as a church. Moses can't speak. Like he, he blames. He's like, I can't live into my birthright in my own destiny. Because I, he was a bad speaker. Gideon. Gideon um, was wants to follow the way of God, calling Gideon to amazing things. This is your birthright. This is who I've said you are. You are love, set free. Let me show you the way that I want you to walk. And he basically his excuse is, "I'm from a family of losers. Like, why would you choose me?" Isaiah says, "I'm not worthy." Jeremiah is he's, "I'm too young." Peter, I have unclean lips. Throughout the Scripture, you have people. Who have like a birthright who have a way to God, who have an understand, who, who have a destiny placed on them, and they refuse to live into it and refuse to walk that way there 's like something hanging over them in like the, in a really beautiful way like this is who you were called to be and and they 've come up with excuses and reasons to not lean in Jesus and talking to even the, the Israel and talking to um this group of people that had gone so off track, he says in Matthew 23, Jerusalem, you who killed a prophets and stoned those who sent you, how often I have longed to gather your children together as hens, gather her chicks under her wings, but you are not willing. In other words, these people who were called to be a blessing to the world weren't willing to walk in their birthright. How many of you have had a sense that you were made for something more and you're not living into it? How many of you, we talk about the race marked out before you and keep going and cloud of witnesses and Jesus is for you and keep going and this is going to be amazing. And you're going, I don't, I don't even know what the race really is for me in light of all this grand stuff about the church. There's this ache that God seems to have throughout the scriptures of wanting to call people to their destiny. And what's fascinating about the Esau story is that he thinks... That this bowl of red stuff, so in the ancient Near East, if you came upon red stuff, and the red soil that would have been in this particular area, this was all connected to basically blood, right? There's this primal belief, if I ate, like, if I ate some stew that had meat in it, if I ate something bloody, if I ate, like, the the, the life force of another animal, and it sounds like really primal, but there was something, right, that we can almost make sense of the logic, how if I eat, like, the the lifeblood of something else, literally, then it will somehow like make me stronger. So he's come back from some epic journey. He comes back and he's like, oh my gosh, I need some of that. And it turns out not even to be the thing he wanted. It wasn't like beef stew. What was it, if you read a little further? It was lentils. He traded his birthright for lentils. How many of you had a moment? where you like went to bed with that girl and it was gonna be amazing and then you rolled over in the morning and you're like, lentils, right? How many of you have had a moment where you're like, this thing was supposed to be amazing. This was supposed to be fulfilling and it's not because it's not what I was made for. It's, I sold in some way this good and true and amazing thing that God would use for his purposes for the way of life and I sold it for, for lentils, This is one of the things in this section that the writer is warning us about. Why do I crave this? He's like, you let these things control you. You're tempted by things. You're pulled into boredom. You're pulled into things that take up so much of your time and pull you away from your God-given destiny. You log on to this site, and it's like lentils. Lentils. Hashtag lentils. I need to stop I'm going long, but man, the writer of Hebrews is calling these people to turn back to the way of God and to keep going. To not give up. To endure not just the hardships that are happening to them externally, but internally the things that are pulling them off course. It's fascinating. In the Bible... There are no passages, like, like you don't get this, like, huge thing around, like, you know, don't, don't, um, let me think of a good example. I don't know, like, you know, don't drop an F-bomb, right? Like, don't, don't, uh, I don't know, don't get, like, wasted and do X, Y, or Z. Like, you don't, people sometimes, I think, think of the Bible. It's not that there aren't passages that speak to, like, the ways in which we get pulled off course. But what we don't get are long lists, over and over of like, here's all the things not to do. What we do is we get a picture of who you're called to be. You get a picture of your destiny. You get a picture of what it is to walk with God. And so every time you might come upon a list in the scriptures that's like listing out a bunch of negative things, like this isn't to, again, rob us of our joy. This is to say these are the very things that will get distorted and twisted and pull you off course from who you were created to be they will pull you away from the race that you're called to run and you're called to keep going. And so for some of you today as we come to the communion table, there needs to be a place of, I think, confession probably in your own heart of I realize that I've been pulled off course. I realize that I've been pulled in directions that are not good and true and beautiful. We actually maybe need like, some people to tell us, hey, hey, you've gone to the bowl Like, you've gone to the lentils. You need people to say, hey, God's called you to more than that. You need people to to tell you, like, you're better than that. Maybe today there are temptations and cravings that you need to own. Some places where you need to stay away from the, the, the temporary craving and pleasure and the thing that would actually pull you away from that which is best. The things that are life. And for others of us, we've been walking that race, and we are beat. And we need to be reminded that we are surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses. That God knows what it is to endure the road. That there's a community of pioneers who are cheering you on. That Christ has run the race. That we've come to a new mountain. A new route has been paved. That we no longer have this primal anxiety of, I don't even know what God wants or how to relate to God. Like, we know I know exactly what God is like as far as he wants to reveal himself to me. You know why? Because in the scriptures it says it's Jesus. This is what God is like in his love and compassion and his light load and his desire to pull us into joining him in something bigger than video games and Netflix binges and and and, and routines that are just like life sucking. There's something more. What is that more? As always, this is not a call away from nice, restful rhythms. This is a call like why we rest in order to continue to run the race that God's called, called out for you. Who are the people that you know that God's calling you to serve? What are the destiny, the things in front of you you know God's been like pushing you to do that thing? To lean into that dream that he's given you, to that vision, to that way of blessing the world and bless those around you job or school or rearranging this or being able to be more generous here or to love better here or to push away from these things. For some of you we need the encouragement to keep going and for others of us when we realize that we have got things that we turn to that are pulling us away from the very race we're called to run. The writer of Hebrews I would humbly submit to you is saying Keep going. Keep going. It used to be the Oregon Trail out there. Like it used to be like, I know, I get it, like all these people were really hard and now there's a new mountain we're coming to. Be faithful, step in to the path that God's called you. He's empowering us to choose our birthright over the bowl, and we need to be reminded of everything it means to be a daughter and a son of God. Lord Jesus, for those who feel like they are continuing to trade their their birthright as a child of God for something less than, I pray today is a day when things change. There's an active response to turn away from that thing, that temptation, that that rhythm that's pulling us off course. For those tired and weary who want to give up, may they be encouraged as they come to the table, being reminded that you have endured the pain and the scorn and the shame, that you have made a way, that you have allowed us to come to a different sort of mountain, or that you um, Lord, have forgiven us and set us free. That when you it says in the passage, Lord, when you sat down, it says Jesus sat down at the right hand of the Father. This is this is this is saying it's finished. It's done. There's nothing more to do. Accept what I have done for you. Accept what I've done for you. There are some people in this room right now that need to like accept, Lord, that you have forgiven them. And want to reconcile them back to you today. You are like moving in their heart, and they need to respond. And so, for those facing temptation, for those needing comfort for the journey, and for those that need to respond, Lord, to this mountain that you you're calling them to. calling them to respond to the claim that you make on the cross that it is finished, Lord. We Pray in this moment that we would actually be a people that move, that repent, that change our mind about things, that cry out to you for strength, to turn away from temptation, to keep going, and to simply throw up our hands and surrender and say yes to you. Lord, in your name, we come to the table. I want to welcome the greeters to come up, the servers to come up. If this morning you want to respond to to the the, it is done, to trust that, that Jesus loves you, is for you, has set you free, coming to the communion table maybe today, to the Eucharist, let this be your active response of yes, Those of you not followers of Jesus, maybe let this time be one where you're just open. Maybe just asking God, if you're there, I I just help. I don't know what to do with all of this. He's faithful to answer you. For those coming in need of just power and strength to move away from temptation, might you as you take the bread and dip it in the cup as a reminder of God's body broken and his blood poured out for you, this amazing act of love and forgiveness. May you be reminded that you are forgiven and that God is calling you to something greater. And for those who need help and encouragement just to keep going, may you be reminded of the painful and brutal death of our Lord Savior and that he has done the work and the heavy lifting for you and you can keep going. So would you come forward to take the bread and take the wine there are people over here who would love to pray with you if today you want to say yes to Jesus for the first time would you go over there and just and just pray with them to allow them to maybe pray for you so would you come